we are starting a new series, and it's one that we're going to kind of live in for a little bit, and it's, uh, we're calling it Spiritual Questions We All Ask. And what we're trying to do is uh, we're trying to get into like kind of these unasked, unstated questions that are sometimes in the back of our minds, sometimes in the front of our minds, and, uh, and we want to dive into God's Word and actually answer those build up a framework for you so that, so that you have a, an understanding and kind of a paradigm to work in. Now, what I did not say is that we're going to answer every spiritual question that you could possibly have because that's impossible to do. Uh, but we want to we walk you through some foundational things in God's Word. And we want to, to give you, uh, like I said, a framework to do that. So by, at the, by the end of this series, uh, if you're able to engage it, I know we'll, we'll get in the summertime, we're all in and out a little bit, but you can watch online or catch podcasts and those kind of things. But by the end of this series, uh, you're going to have a, a base of teaching that you can really build faith, theology, doctrine off of. And it allows you to kind of look at God's Word, interpret things, and then look at the circumstances and God moving in your life and have a framework to, to work that off of too. So that's kind of like our goal. And I think you're going to find it really, really valuable as, uh, as we go through it. So we're going to kick it off this weekend. And we're going to start by talking about what I think is a, is a foundational question. The question that, <clears throat> that I'm starting with is something that is actually a simple question, but it has a really, really profound impact on our life. And it's a simple question that if we're not careful, we'll kind of throw a simple answer at. We'll kind of be like, well, that's the answer to that. We'll kind of move on from it. And it's not necessarily always an answer that we've wrestled with or really tried to understand and get our, our head around. And here's the question, and I started with this one on purpose because I think it's a foundation piece to all other questions that we have. And the question is simply this, can I know for sure that I'm actually a follower of Jesus? Like, can I know that? How do I know that? Where does that come from? How does that play out? And how do I like set that in as like a cornerstone of my life so that I can, I can build life around that? So that question is a core question that actually every human being needs to, to answer because whatever I believe the answer to that is determines a lot in my life. Uh, it determines what I invest my life in. Uh, it determines who has like uh, the authority to speak into my life, kind of the paradigm of life that I, that I live by. Um, it determines how I hear God. If I hear him as his follower, if I hear him as somebody who's like secure in that, or if I hear him as somebody who's skeptical in that, it really changes the way that I hear what God says through the Bible. It determines how I translate God's heart toward me. So my, my relationship with God or what I perceive it to be uh, determines how I translate what he's saying to me and how he wants to interact with me. It determines how I act toward him. And it really determines whether I'm going to like rest and find comfort and hope in my relationship with Jesus or whether I'm going to resent his intrusion into my, my life. And so it's actually, I know, it's a, I know it on, on the surface, it seems like a really simple question, but you just like take that a, a click deeper and all of a sudden it's a very, very fundamental part of our life. And it's a part of our life that a lot of us struggle with in, in a lot of ways. So 
as, as we answer this question, how can I know for sure that I'm actually a Christ follower? For some of us, some of us need that, that, that question to be answered about uh, our faith just from a clarity point of view. Uh, if, if you are like me, I'm a guy that got raised in church, like my mama and my dad drove me to church, drug me to church is what I meant to say, uh, four times a week. Like I got some church in my system, counseling helps. But like I, I did a, a whole bunch of church and I needed clarity to this question for me because I actually could spit the right answer out for you, right? So for some of us, when we ask that question, what we need is clarity. Are we thinking and talking about what Jesus is thinking and talking about? For some of us, when we think about that question, what we need to do is we need to, to receive a faith and a salvation that we don't have yet. So, so we're looking at our lives and we're thinking about our relationship with God and you haven't acted on that and acted on that the way the Bible would teach us to act on that. So for some of this, some of us, this is a, a bit of an invitation that we would need to, lay, uh, to look at and to take hold of. And then for some of us, this is an a, a assurance uh, that we would look and say, no, I can, I can really know that. And because I can really know that, I can live my life from the position of being secure in my relationship with God instead of a position of hoping that I can earn my relationship with God, right? And so some of us struggle with that. I struggled with that growing up. If you said, what's it mean to be a Christ follower? I could probably actually give you the right answer because I was uh, raised in church. My dad sent us to a religious school. And so like I knew the Bible pretty well, but I didn't necessarily own that personally. So I'm a guy that like accepted Jesus a thousand times, right? I would, the, the pastor would be like, you need to accept Jesus. I'm like, I accept Jesus. And then he would preach a sermon like on hell. And I'd be like, you know what? I better do that again, <laughs> you know? Or if he approached a sermon on the end times, I would do that like five times just in case Jesus came back like a thief in the night and the electric razor was laying in the sink. So like just in case that happened, like I, I have to do all of those things and I would accept Jesus again and again and again and again and that actually had a big impact on my relationship with Jesus because I struggled to have security in my salvation and know that I really was who I thought I was. So it's gonna play out to us in a bunch of different ways, but where God takes us and what his heart is is all the same. And I think the answers that we're gonna walk through this weekend are gonna be answers that help all of us, whatever those categories that, that we are are in, okay? So I love this passage. We talked about this passage actually a couple weeks ago. We're talking about overcoming fear and how God helps us to overcome fear. And we were looking at this verse a little bit where Paul says this to Timothy. He says, I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. So that phrase caught me. When Paul says, I remember your genuine faith. And when you're thinking about what it really means to be a Christ follower, what the Bible would say is that you need to have a genuine faith. We would find comfort, we would find assurance, we would find clarity if God, so to say, looked at us and says, and saying, I remember that you, or I know you have a genuine faith. So I want to look at this, this this weekend, and I want to look at this idea of my or your genuine faith. But what I want to do is I want to reverse engineer it a little bit. So we're going to look at those three words, but I'm going to do it backwards. We're going to look at faith, 
And then we're going to look at what that means to be genuine and then what that means for that to be yours, okay? So what is faith and what does that faith do and how do I have it and how does that interact with my salvation and what does that look like, okay? So what is faith? This is what the Bible would say about faith. The Bible would say that I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Now faith, what is faith? Faith in this context is me choosing to believe what I cannot and will never fully understand. That's what faith is. When I place my faith in something or I place my faith in someone, I am choosing to believe in that thing or that person. Even though I know full well, I do not fully understand all that that means. Uh, when I said yes to Heidi and we got married almost 30 years ago, I placed my faith in her and she placed her faith in me. Now we were young, but we were also wise enough to know that we did not know how that faith would be tested, how that faith would be grown, because there was no way for us to know what path life was gonna take us down. I just chose to believe in Heidi she chose to believe in me. I placed my faith in her, knowing full well that I could not comprehend everything and I did not understand everything. So when the Bible says that you have a genuine faith, what God is talking about in that context is he's saying you have placed your trust in someone or you have placed your trust knowing that you do not fully understand everything about God, we never will, and knowing that we don't really know what path that's gonna take us down. But I'm making a core decision that I'm going to choose to believe in Christ and I'm going to choose to trust him as he takes me through life. And the Bible says that is the essence or the foundation of salvation. That when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, I am placing my faith in him to receive a salvation that I need and that I want and that he wants to give me. So this is how the Bible says it. We were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, our trust, our belief. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who you are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our, of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. So what's the Bible saying? The Bible's saying that the way that I receive salvation is I receive it from the person of Jesus Christ. I'm choosing to believe that Jesus is the path to salvation. Now, why do I need salvation? Well, the Bible explains this too. Because everyone has sinned. So sin, sin is everything bad that's ever happened. Everything bad that's ever happened to you, everything bad that you've ever done to somebody else. And what the Bible is saying is that everyone has participated in those bad things. People have done bad things to you, and you've done bad things to other people. And you've done bad things to God. So that is sin. And what the Bible says is this. 
when we sin, we fall short of God's glorious standard. So the Bible says that God is perfect. He has no sin. And when I sin, I become imperfect. And we all kind of know that about ourselves, right? We, all, we know that we're imperfect. Well, here's the problem. Perfection and imperfection cannot coexist. They cannot coexist. No matter what degree of imperfection I bring into perfection, I make the perfect imperfect when I bring in perfection to it. So God cannot coexist with man because of our sin, or our sin breaks our relationship with God. But God loves us. So he says, we sin, God's perfect, that separates us, but God in his grace makes us right in his sight, and he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin, and we are made right with God when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So God's perfect, we're imperfect, we cannot coexist. God doesn't want that because he loves us and he's rich in mercy and grace. So he looks at his son Jesus and says, Jesus, will you go and deal with humanity's sin? My sin has a consequence to it. It has a cost to it. It has a penalty to it. And that cost and that penalty has to have justice brought to it. But I can't pay that debt because I'm the one who created it. So God looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, would you do it? If I present you as the payment for sin. And Jesus said, you know what, I will. So Jesus came out of heaven, he came onto earth, he put skin on so that we could understand the heart and mind of God. We understand God through his son Jesus. He never sinned. He laid down his life as a sacrifice. Jesus was not murdered. He wasn't killed, you can't kill God. He, you can't murder God, he sacrificed his life. And when he did that, he paid the justice or the penalty for our sin. And all of the justice of God that was due to you and me for the bad stuff we did is all poured out on Jesus. Jesus died, he rose again on the third day, and he creates salvation for us. So what happens is this. God is perfect, I'm imperfect, Jesus is there in the middle. And when I ask Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin, the Bible says that Jesus' perfection, his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection covers me. And when God then looks at me, he sees me through the perfection of Jesus, and that's how I can interact with God. So that's why Jesus says, he says, I am the way. I did this. I'm the only one who could do it, and I did it. I'm the way. I am the truth. Any other idea that somebody else or, or there's another way besides me, it it's, doesn't exist. Because I am that truth, and I am life. You, you cannot be reborn spiritually unless I resurrect you from the spiritual dead. I do all of that. I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father unless they come through me. Faith is me choosing to believe that. 
And what the Bible says is we're made right with God when by faith we believe that Jesus gave his life and created salvation for us. It's putting our faith in Christ as our sole source of salvation. And Christ and Christ alone, Jesus and Jesus alone, is the only way that our sins can be forgiven and it's the only path that we can take to heaven. Right? Now, am I, am I really a Christ follower? Well, you would start with saying, is my faith in Christ? Because my faith in Christ, that it's really different than saying, Jesus makes me a whole person and balances me out. Faith in Christ is really different than saying, uh, I think Jesus helps me be the best version of me. Faith in Christ is very different than saying Jesus is, is a path to heaven and God is like up there and all good people. Because it's, it's actually not the church and it's not Christianity who are exclusive about this. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who's like, I am it and there is no other. Uh, Jesus is the one who's like, there is, it's my name, there's one name under heaven by which you can be saved. There's nobody else can do that. Jesus is the one who says, I am the son of God. So my faith, your genuine faith, if I reverse engineer it, my faith starts there. That this is who Jesus is, he is who he says he is, he did what he said he did, and he is the only path and there is no other path. So am I really a Christ follower? Well, the answer would be, well, where do you put your faith? What is that foundation? Are you viewing, accepting, interacting with Jesus as God and as the source of salvation that he, that he really is? So your genuine faith, you would just start there and say that's faith, right? Now, I can know that and not necessarily receive that. And that's, that's the way I was growing up uh, until I was in college. If you asked me what's it mean to have faith and who you have it, I could parrot back to you the answer because I had to take tests on this <laughs> when I was in high school. So like, I'm like, I could give you that answer that doesn't necessarily mean my faith is genuine. So just knowing the answer is not what God is looking for. Knowing some things about the Bible is not what God's looking for. It starts there, but it has to become genuine. And what does it mean that that faith is genuine? So let's look at this idea for a little bit. How do I know that my faith is a genuine faith and it's what God is wanting me to have. So this is really fascinating. And I think that this is a place where we get really, really confused, especially if you grew up around religious circles. So if you grew up in religious circles, you're probably gonna struggle figuring this out more than any other part of this whole equation, okay? So what does he mean? So this is what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul says, remember all that stuff about God's glorious standard and we're all fallen and we're spiritually dead. Jesus has to rebirth us spiritually and make us alive. 
So he's talking about that. That's kind of the context of it. And he says this. He says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you, you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It's fascinating. So the Apostle Paul is saying, faith is in Christ and Christ alone. When we believe in Christ alone, we're saved by that grace because we believed in it, but we can't take credit for it. It's a gift that comes from God Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we do. And to me, this is probably the hardest part of the whole Bible to believe. That my salvation is a loving gift from a merciful God. It's not something that I earn or that I attain. It is only something that I can receive. And a genuine faith is a faith that is received. It's not a faith that I acquire or a salvation that I acquire. Here's what happens. Whenever I believe that I've done something to work for my salvation, I will always question what else I have to do to retain it. So in you anywhere, Anywhere in your heart and in your mind, if you have this thought, I have grown up in church my whole life and I have worked really hard to be a good person, that's why I have my salvation. That is a false belief. If there's any work that you have done, I was baptized as a baby, I took communion. Uh, I went through catechism. I did confirmation. I grew up in Awana. If there's any work that you would look and say, where my salvation comes from, it comes from when that thing happened in my life and that's how I am. The tradition I grew up in is you would go forward and, and you would say, I don't want to go to he hell, I want to go to heaven. And you say, well, are you really a Christ follower? You would say, yeah, I went forward when I was a kid. If there's any work, any action, anything in your mind or your heart where you would say, the reason that I deserve to have my sins forgiven or I deserve to go to heaven is because I have done those things. What God is saying here in his word is all of that is a false belief. Because the way that salvation is received is by believing in Christ, that's putting my faith in him, and then receiving a gift, it is not a reward. Salvation is a gift that I can receive, it is not a reward that I can earn. And if I have in my mind, any place in my mind, that if I do enough or do the right things, I can earn my salvation. What I will also have in my mind is if I did not do enough or I did not do the right thing, do I really have it or can I retain it?
And you will always live with some level of spiritual insecurity if you believe that salvation is, in, is anything less than a gift from a merciful and a loving God. See? And what happens when we struggle with that is that misconception will start to define our relationship with God. If I believe that I have to earn my salvation, then I will build my whole relationship with God out of doing enough good things. I gotta do more good things. I gotta be nicer to, to, to little old ladies crossing the street. I gotta help somebody else. I gotta do this. I gotta change in this way. I gotta clean up this aspect of my life. I gotta, and if I don't do that, then I don't have my, and you will always live with the insecurity of did I actually do enough? If I think my salvation is something that I c can attain, then I will always be asking myself, did I attain it? So for instance, if you think your salvation is found in yourself, I just have to become enlightened, I have to find my own truth, I have to live my own truth, and if I can be the best, highest version of myself, then I can achieve salvation. And that's what a lot of faiths believe, that I just have to be the best, highest version of myself, and I will achieve salvation. The insecurity that you will always live with is, did I actually choose the right thing? If I'm following my truth, is my truth actually my truth? Because my truth that I believe at 28 is not the truth that I believed when I was 18, and it's nowhere close to the truth I believed when I was eight. So which version of that truth is the truth? Well, it's the current version of it. Well, what if it's supposed to be the version 10 years from now? Did you miss the mark? And when I think that my salvation is anything less than a gift, I have to put my confidence in work or I have to put my confidence in self. And work will always ask the question, did I do enough? And self will always ask the question, am I enough? And what the Bible is saying is, no, this salvation comes from Christ is a gift from God, and it is not a reward, it is something that can be given to us. That when I look at my salvation, instead of taking confidence in my works, or confidence in myself, what I actually do is I take confidence in the gift. Is the gift worthy? Is the gift giver great enough to provide my salvation for me? And instead of looking at the ups and downs of my spiritual performance and the ups and downs of how I feel about myself, I can always look at the consistency of the one who gave me the gift and the gift that he gave. So my faith is genuine when it is placed in Christ and received as a gift. And I realize that there's nothing I can do and no, nothing that I can become to save myself, I have to receive that from who Jesus is, I have to receive that from his heart and his mind, and I have to receive that as a loving God who is merciful to me, giving me a gift that I cannot purchase on my own. So is that faith genuine? Well, is it in Christ? Is it genuine? Have you received it or do you think you attained it a different way? See? 
So a faith that is genuine. And then the last thing is this, and it is yours. It is yours, right? Now this is what happens. Sometimes when somebody asks you, like, are you a Christian? You'll say, yeah, I was raised as a Christian. Uh, are you a Christ follower? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not Muslim. Are you a Christ follower? I'm not Buddhist. But do you follow the one true God? Yeah, I'm not Mormon. But are you a follower of Jesus Christ? You will look and say, yes, I am, but you're talking about the tradition you were raised in and what you're familiar with. You're talking about who your parents were. You're talking about what your grandmother was like. And a genuine faith is a faith in Christ and it's a faith that is received as a gift and it's a faith that you have chosen to embrace. And when the Apostle Paul was talking to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I saw this faith in your grandma, Lois, and your mom, Eunice. I see it in you. He wasn't saying, because your grandma was a follower and your mom was a follower, you're a follower. What he was saying was, the genuine faith your grandma had and she chose to embrace is the genuine faith your mom had and she chose it to embrace it. And I see that the genuine faith you have, you have it because you chose to embrace it. Are you a Christ follower? I was baptized as a Christian. No. Have you chosen to put your faith in Jesus Christ? It's a very unpopular decision today. When you say there are no other gods, there is no other way, it is Christ and Christ alone, I actually agree with what Jesus said about himself. Is it your faith? Yeah, I received it as a, not something my parents did for me or a way that I was raised, but it's a faith that I, a gift that I received from Christ. And that is mine. And that faith and that salvation defines me. It directs me. It's the paradigm through which I see my life. Your genuine faith. Right? Now, when we think about all of this, it's important that we think about it in the right, the right paradigm. So this is, this is what I would say. If you're looking for a new tattoo, here's one you could get. Never think of your relationship with Christ outside of relational terms. Never think of your relationship with God outside of relational terms, right? So for us Bible nerds, uh, we're going to talk about salvation and what genuine salvation is. You're going to think about it through theological terms. And some of you are like, man, he nailed the theology on this. And some of you are like, I don't know. And it's okay. You can be wrong. It's not a big deal. But like theology. Some of you are going to think it through doctrinal terms. So there's a lot of good people who really love Jesus who disagree about doctrinal positions when it, when it comes to salvation. And you can think what you think and I think what I think. And again, it's fine. When we get to heaven, you'll be shocked how much God agrees with Jeff. Right? So it's no big deal. Before you think about salvation in theological terms and before you think about it in doctrinal terms, you must think about it in relational terms. 
because your relationship with God is not a theology and it's not a doctrine, it is a relationship. And if you take this conversation and you move it out of a relational context, you'll never get it. Now when it comes to, am I really a Christ follower? Have I really received my, my salvation? Have I really placed my faith? You are asking a relational question. And when you think about the biggest barriers to actually following Jesus and having security in your relationship with Jesus and having a salvation from Jesus, those barriers are relational barriers way before they're theological or doctrinal barriers. So never think of your relationship with God outside of relational terms. And this is what happens. When you think about, should I put my faith in Jesus Christ, you're not asking an intellectual question, you're asking a relational one, because you're talking about, will I trust that? I have put my faith in Jesus Christ, which means I have literally staked my eternal soul on trusting who Jesus is. If Jesus is wrong or Jesus is lying and we're all supposed to be Buddhist, I'm like dead meat. Because I have trusted the person of Jesus Christ. When I think about receiving a gift, it's the validity and the strength and the, the, the integrity of the gift that is my salvation. If that gift does not have validity and integrity and strength, then like I'm dead meat because I really believe we're saved by grace through faith. Dead meat. So I'm trusting the one giving me the gift. And when you think about the barrier to you trusting salvation, resting in the assurance of your salvation, or receiving your salvation, you're talking about a relational barrier. And you're talking about, do I trust this? Do I trust this person, Jesus? Do I trust this gift that Jesus gives, or don't I trust this? And what happens is this. Oftentimes, in our interaction with God, if we have heard God incorrectly or heard him presented to us in a wrong way, a seed of a relational break will be planted in us and we will interpret everything that we've heard and everything that we've learned and we will draw a, dis a distorted conclusion out of it. And the answer to that distorted conclusion is not for me to throw more verses at you or to, to me to talk down with you because I know big words that you may not know. The answer to that, that distortion is trusting the heart of the one who loves you. Let me, let me try to show you how this works. Um, my mom has is, is been uh, with, with the Lord for many, about 15 years or so now. Loved her, miss her. I always think of her a ton on a Mother's Day weekend. My mom and I had a, a really great relationship. We were actually close my whole life. My sisters always joked that I wasn't born with an umbilical cord, I was born with a bungee cord. So I was, just, I was just like close with my mom and like we hung out all the time, we got each other. I'm a lot like my mom in a lot of ways and so we just had a really good relationship. So much so that my mom and dad moved in with Heidi and I and lived out the last part of their life with us. And we enjoyed that. It, it wasn't like this big burden. We like loved them. They were probably our best friends. And so we, we loved hanging out with them. Years before my mom died, I had graduated with my master's degree. And uh, I'll never forget this. We went, we went uh, to the school I went to. I marched to get my master's degree. 
mom and dad came out to like cheer for us. And as, uh, after I got the master's degree and I had my fancy robes on, um, I was standing there, we're taking pictures, and my mom made a comment to me. She made a comment to me. That comment somehow stuck in my head in a weird way. And every parent does this to every child. And by the way, children, you do it to your parents too, right? So we all do this to each other. This passing comment, it's not even careless, it just was what it was and it sticks somehow in your brain and like it locks in there and you remember that that moment that they don't even remember that happened with me and my mom she made a comment to me and it lodged into my brain and I remember when she first said it to me I thought to myself what's that like what's that mean Phyllis like I don't even know what to do with that right and and my mom my mom would have never remembered she said it she meant nothing by it it was not hurtful, it was not cold, it was just this comment that I, re- I like received in a, in a weird way. I did not receive that comment as information. And I did not receive that comment as structural. I received it relationally. And that comment lodged in my brain relationally and over the years before mom passed away, every once in a while, she would say or we would talk about something and it would hit and it would run through the grid of that comment for me. And I'm like, now I, I never said anything to her. I never confronted her about it. I would just hear it. I'm like, <sighs> and then a year later, she'd say something about, you know, the 4th of July. And I was like, what was that? And then she would, we'd be talking about dinner. And what was that? And over the years, because I had a seed that was causing a division in my relationship, that grew and grew and grew because I was mishearing and misinterpreting and reacting in an incorrect way relationally with my mother. That got so big in my life that when mom died, mom died really suddenly. And when she died suddenly, it was very painful We were a close family. She died a year after my dad did, so we weren't even like through that yet. She lived with us, so our kids are upset. Heidi's upset. We had like their house to deal with, all these kind of things. After she died, we had the funeral. We honored her. We buried her. I'm in her part of the house. Heidi and I are cleaning the house out because mom and dad are both gone now. And we're sitting there, and I looked at Heidi, and I said, you know, I said, I, said uh, I, just, I just wish I had a better relationship with my mom. And Heidi looked at me, and she goes, what? And I said, you know, mom was just like this and this and this. And Heidi goes, what are you talking about? I said, well, she was just always this way and this way and this way, and I just got sick of it. And Heidi looked at me, and she said, Honey, you and your mom were like super close. And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I don't know. You know, she, she had her failings and she had her, I started complaining about her. And I said, what are you talking? Like you and your mom, you and your mom, you would come home, see if your mom wanted to get, go get Chinese food and you would leave your dad and all of us here and you and your mom would go out and do stuff. 
Like, like you and your mom would go to the movies. I'd be like, where are they? You would come home. If you didn't like dinner, you'd go and tell your mom and she would make you what you want. Like, she's like, what are you talking about? That's a true story. Like, like she's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you know, she was just always this way toward me. She's like, honey. She said, that is just not true. That's not true. And you're in a lot of pain right now. And you're going through a lot of grief right now. And you're tired. And you're confused. And you are not, you are not trusting. Your mother adored you and was proud of you. And Heidi, Heidi, we were talking about this the other day. And Heidi was like, and it was borderline unhealthy, <laughs> right? But she said to me back then, she said, you're wrong. And when Heidi talked to me about that, she was very loving about it. We weren't fighting. She was very loving about it. It sent my mind very quickly back to that comment. And when I replayed that comment that was probably 10 years old at the time, and I thought to myself, what if she didn't mean this? What if she meant that? And if she meant that, then this didn't mean this, it meant that. And this didn't mean this, it meant that. And this didn't mean this, it meant that. And oh, oh. Ready? You with me? That is what you struggle with when it comes to following Christ. It's not the theology of there is one God. It's the relationship of what does Jesus mean when he says that? Why would he say that? Is he saying everybody else is a jerk? Or is he saying, I, I'm, I love you enough to make sure you know that I am the only way? What does it mean when he says salvation is a gift, it's not a reward? <laughs> what do I even try for? Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying... Serving me from the position of being loved by me is way different than serving me because you're afraid if you don't do it right, you'll wind up in hell. I want to give you freedom. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's a gift. Just trust the gift. And, and trust the giver. And what does he mean? It's got to be yours. What do mean it's got to be mine? Why can't everybody just go to... Because I, I want to know you, you. I love you. I want a journey with you. And what happens if, if you can get your head around the relational issue, all of this like falls in line. And you stand here and say, wait a minute, there's a loving God who is rich in mercy and full of grace who loves me. 
can I trust him to put my faith in him? Because that's scary. Can I trust him to be the provider of my salvation? Because that feels like I'm out of control. And can I trust that he wants to know me and love me? Because that means that relationship is mine. And it's not theology, it's not doctrine, it's relationship. And it's the relationship that Christ wants to have with you. Right? How can I know that I'm actually a Christ follower? Right? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? How can I know that I'm a Christ follower? Do you agree that salvation can only be a gift? The rest of it doesn't matter, or the rest of it is supposed to reflect something that has already happened. Do you agree with that? How do I know I'm actually a Christ follower? Well, have you accepted the gift? And when you go down and say, I choose this, I trust this, I receive this, the Bible says, well, then you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Now let's, let's work out that salvation, let's grow in our faith, let's mature, let's understand, let's grow more and more in God's grace. Like let's do, the, let's do this thing then, but it starts here. See? And it starts with a relational trust and receiving the love of a merciful and gracious God. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me? The band will reset the stage here. Jesus, I just want to invite you into this moment. Holy Spirit, if you would work, Lord, there's a lot, a lot to think about and a lot to download and a lot to evaluate. And Lord, would you help us move from an intellectual exercise into a spiritual one, a relational one, where we're trying to know and feel and understand you. So guys, for some of us here right now, this conversation is all about you receiving something you haven't received yet, and that's salvation through Christ. And if you're feeling like God is interacting with you, what, what that feels like, that feels like a light clicked on. That feels like a puzzle piece got put in. That feels like, a, like God is like calling or inviting you. And that's just a, that's God interacting with you spiritually. But if that's you, I encourage you to act on that, to receive the gift of salvation that Jesus wants to give you. So just get this picture in your mind. Look at Jesus, the one who laid his life down on the cross, the one who took it up again. Imagine that he's walking towards you and he has a gift in his hand. And the gift is his forgiveness and his salvation, his grace and mercy. And he wants to give it to you. 
you have to decide, am I going to walk away or am I going to turn around? That's The Bible uses the word repent. I'm turning from where I was going and I'm turning to Christ and I'm receiving what he came to give me. And if you've never asked for the forgiveness of your sin, you've never accepted salvation by grace through faith, the gift of God, then from your heart to God's heart, confess that you have, you're imperfect, you're a sinner. Confess that Jesus is the source of salvation and ask him for it and he will give it. The Bible says he's faithful and he's just and he cleanses us when we do that. For some of us, this is about clarity because we did something. We walked an aisle or we were baptized as a baby or did something. And so we would have looked and said, well, I did this work. And so it's a little bit of a thing where we're like salvation is not a reward it's a gift and I would want you to have that same image in your mind and instead of saying Jesus look what I did you're saying Jesus I receive what you did and for some of us we're insecure and what Jesus wants to remind us of is his love his consistency his heart seeds of doubt cause us to draw pictures that aren't true and to rest rest in the grace of God Jesus you do all of this we don't do it while we're rebelling against you you are dying for us and so we're grateful God I just ask that in these still moments you would lean deep in you would draw us to yourself call us, you would clarify for us, and you would assure us. And Jesus, that we would find that rest and that salvation that comes from you.